You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, session number two, and all systems are go. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now, let's join your host, Seth Muse, who's not that interested in birds. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. I am your host, Seth Muse. I'm so glad you're with us today. This is the podcast that helps ministry leaders make confident decisions with clear purpose. And today, I got a little problem. I got a problem with numbers, not just because I hate math, because I really do hate math, even though I use it all the time. I just don't like some of the numbers that we use in the church. Here's the problem that we face. And maybe you've noticed this. We've all been told as ministers that we're not supposed to care about numbers. Numbers are not supposed to be the thing we're looking at when we define our ministry's success or failures, and we're not supposed to look at butts and seats as a thing that we're really trying to achieve is more butts and seats. But at the end of the day, we, 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 we do it anyway. And, and the problem that we have here is that we're told that anytime a pastor starts to say, look, look at all these people that are coming, everyone around kind of gasps and just, oh, he's arrogant now. And we get this stigma about pastors that are really looking at that. And, and so we all know as ministry leaders that it's, if we think that way, we kind of we may feel okay about it, but we sure are not going to let any other ministry leaders know that that's what's going on in our head. And we certainly don't want to appear. And so we keep saying things like, oh, we're not really about numbers here. We don't really care about numbers when we really kind of are. And, and here's the deal. You know, and I know, that your ministry success is defined by numbers. We say we're not supposed to care about numbers, but when we go to that budget meeting and we say, I need this for my ministry, I know some of you have been told, just like I have, we're not big enough to do that. And what they really are saying is, we don't have enough people here to justify doing that. Now that could come down to dollars and cents, and I get that, but many times it's not about that. It's about, we're just not a big enough church, or we don't have enough people coming to justify another staff position here, or even a volunteer role, or another department of our ministry, such as communications. And, and I'm big on this, like, I think, I think all churches need a communications department. I'm going to go over that in a second. But many churches think that just because we're small, we don't need all that. We don't need someone to manage the vastness of social media. And so we think because of our numbers, we're not going to do this ministry. We're not going to do this thing that's going to help us minister and reach out to people. And I think there's a real inherent issue in the pastors and ministry leaders not being able to talk about these numbers and not being able to talk about this kind of stuff because we're supposed to have this kind of sense of humility about us, that which is good. We should be humble, but it, it's like this false sense of humility we have to put on because we can't let anyone know that we're actually taking attendance. And so and unless, unless you're like Baptist church, Baptist church, I grew up in Baptist churches and man, we take attendance like crazy. We count people that aren't even there. And we tell, hey, we had 500 people here today. And you're looking around, one, two, 20. There's 20 people here. Oh, but there's 500 on the roll, you know, and, and not just bad. I pick on Baptist churches, but a lot of churches do that. And, and you know who you are and you should stop because what we're really doing is we're just kind of we're kind of pressing this idea out there for ministry leaders that we're looking at these numbers and putting this pressure on them that they have to kind of perform and bring the people in. 
And it puts this pressure on them to make decisions and stuff sometimes that aren't exactly good for the church, but they're good for uh, the, the committee meetings or whatever happened later. I got some problems with numbers because when we start to define our system by the numbers that we have coming, not talking about money here. I know money is always an issue. So put that aside. I'm talking about attendance numbers. When we start defining what we do in our churches based on how many people are coming, then we start to lose opportunities to minister to the world we to the people who are in the world we live in right now, you know, and, and social media is a great opportunity, a great uh, example of that because there's so many people on social media. So let's get right into that. There are four systems I think that every church needs to have in place, regardless of your size. It doesn't matter if you're a mega church that's got fifteen thousand people, or if you're a grassroots movement that meets in homes with ten other people. Or, or three couples, or whatever. Whatever your church is, these are systems that help you grow your church on this non-theological side of things. And it's this practical side of ministry that you're supposed to learn that this podcast exists to help you understand. So let's dive into the four systems you need, regardless of your church size. The first system you need is your mission, vision, and values system. Now, there's a lot of books out there on mission, vision, and values, so I don't want to get into too much of that. And what is mission? What is vision? I'll tell you what I think they are in a nutshell, and then we can go from there. But I view mission as the answer to the question, what are we trying to do? I think your mission should always be something that reflects the Great Commission, because that's the mission of the church. The Great Commission mission is even in there. It's what Jesus told us, this is what I want you to do. Now, when you look at that, there's a lot of things that people pull out of that and whatever, so I, I, I'm not really going to get into that, but I will tell you that a mission statement needs to have something to do with Jesus. It needs to have something to do with a, a discipleship slash evangelism plan. It needs to have something to do with reaching outwards from the church and baptisms and uh, discipling people to grow. So that's all kind of in there. Those are the main elements in the, uh, the end of the book of Matthew where Jesus really lays that down for us. So mission is what are we trying to do? And so answering that question gives you your mission, and then you can wordsmith it however you like for your mission statement. I think every church needs a vision. For vision, I say this is what it looks like when we accomplish the mission. What does it look like? What's the story you tell? So, oh man, I went into this church. If you, for, so for instance, your, uh, your greeting team, you want to know what is, it, what is your vision for a, a first-time visitor's experience here at our church? So you say, okay, well, this person shows up and goes in our parking lot. And, and as soon as they get out of the car, then there's somebody there say, hey, good morning. And they have a smile on their face. They're really nice to them. And they walk them in. And then they come in and they're directed over to a, a kiosk where there's somebody else that's helpful. And they take their kids to the right places. And all the people are, are smiling and all this. And it's just, what does it look like when it's perfect? What does it look like when a visitor comes in and it is a perfect experience here? That's kind of your vision. So that takes a long time to really explain, but it's it, it's it's one of those things that can be kind of more caught than taught uh, at your church. But there needs to be kind of this idea. This is all. This is what we want to have happen. This is what it looks like when we win. 
Third, you need your values system in place. Now, the values I would define as what are the guiding principles that will get us to that picture, the preferred future, the vision, and help us accomplish that mission? And what is what are those things that are like honesty or biblical truth or, um, you know, uh, leaving a legacy? And I, and I give an example on my blog in a blog that's similar to this podcast uh, from Fellowship Bible Church Dallas. On their website, you can go and see some of their values. I think these are really, really great. I just gave you a couple of them just then. So these are values. They're kind of the the guideposts. So whenever someone's coming up to you and saying, hey, I want to start a ballet ministry, that's a real thing I've seen before. You can say, okay, well, how does that fit into our mission, vision, and values? So it helps you make decisions about what you're going to be doing. No matter what size you are, you need some kind of filter, some kind of matrix to run decisions through that get you to that mission that keep you on task. And if you don't have that and it's not clear and it's not posted everywhere for people to see, then you're going to get off track and end up doing a ballet ministry or having a, you know, a a lumberjack ministry or for whatever we get together and chop wood. I mean, you're going to have something like that and go, what is this? What are we doing here? I know I know that LifeChurch.tv in Oklahoma, oh, they're not .tv anymore. They changed it, didn't they? Life, Life.Church, I think, is their website. But it's Craig Rochelle. I know that they started off, and they had this huge sports ministry, enormous. And as they were running their mission and vision and values uh, through the gamut, and they were trying to do different things with it and decide, who are we going to be? What's this going to be like? They just they looked at their sports ministry and said, guys, this just doesn't work anymore. They were they were creating spaces for more sin <laughs> and fighting and griping and bad blood for all these athletic competitions they were putting on. They were like, this isn't even good. Why are we doing this? Why are we still doing this? So they cut all of that out of their budget. They cut all those ministries. They just did away with them. And they were then able to take that money and put it somewhere towards their actual mission and vision into programs and ministries that were on task. So you've got to have some kind of filter, some kind of way to make decisions about what are we going to do? Where are we going to put our money? Who are we going to hire? All of that comes through mission, vision, and values. So put this stuff up everywhere. Just put it all over the boards, put it on the walls, put your values up so people can see it and keep it out in front of them and talk about it a lot so that everyone stays on mission, on task. Because if you don't, somebody's going to come and they're going to say, oh, I want this to be done or I want to start a a women's crochet ministry. And and you're going to say, well, okay, if you're going to lead it, I don't have to do anything. Sure. And so many resources eventually get spent out into things that aren't really doing a lot of good, maybe for a handful of people, but it's really not being powerfully effective because we just didn't have a way to say yes and no. That's all that is. It's a way for us to say yes and no to what we're going to be doing and how we're going to spend the resources that God has entrusted to us. So we've got to have a mission, vision, and value system. The second one we have to have, the second system is a leadership system. Now, I'm a big fan of something I heard Andy Stanley say on a podcast or something. He said that everybody in his organization and his church have a one sentence job description. Now they have a full job description too. So you've got all the details of everything, but at the, at the top of that job description is a one sentence summary. It's basically, if all else fails, this is your job. 
And so I loved that. I put that into practice with my youth ministry that I had just come from here. And with my small group leaders for Wednesday nights in our youth group, I had a bunch of adults that would come in and volunteer and they'd lead small groups after I'd talk. They'd go lead discussions on what I talked about. And I wanted their ministry to be something that they understood was not just coming to Wednesday night and talking about what we just talked about, but that these were some of their, these were their kids. I wanted them to invest in their lives and be part of their lives. And so I went and went through this kind of mission, vision, and values type thing with them, and then decided that I wanted to give them a job description that shows what I expect them to do, what I expect it to look like when they, all that stuff. But at the end, I gave them a one sentence job description, and here it is. Feel free to steal it if you like it, work with it, whatever. I thought it was great. I loved it. They loved it, and it just helped. Their one sentence job description is to pass on what they know and love about God to teenagers. Very simple. You pass on what you know, meaning I don't have to learn a whole lot and then start working and ministering. I just, whatever I do know, I'm going to pass it on. What I love about God, and I mean the triune God, we're a Trinitarian church, and it it was about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, what you love about them. Pass that on to teenagers. And so I could easily say, hey, how did you pass on what you knew and love about God to teenagers this week? And they could tell me stories that kind of hit all those finer, detailed bullet points under their actual job description. Like, what does it look like when I'm really reaching this kid and and all that? So we had all that. It was in place. It was wonderful. They knew what they were supposed to do. That's good leadership is what happens when you're not there. If, if, if you're not there and every, all chaos happens, that means that your leaders don't really know what their job is. Because if they can't function without you, then you're not training them to, to, uh, to be very influential or powerful leaders in your ministry. And you can do better. And that's the beauty of it. So we need a leadership system. Also, there needs to be an understanding of who's who reports to who. I know that in a a staff situation or elder situation and deacons, sometimes it gets really messy. We go to org charts all the time. And for the purpose of knowing who's who's boss, that's fine. I know that uh, some people don't like org charts. And especially when it comes to like planning meetings and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm okay to throw the org chart out. Uh, Just get people to the table that can help with whatever we're talking about. I'm a big fan of that. However, for the organization to function, there has to be some kind of um, hierarchy, some kind of I answer to this person, this person answers to this person, et cetera, on, even if it's on separate issues, and that needs to be lined out in the job description. So for staff, it gets a little more detailed, but you've got to have that. Everybody on your staff, if they don't have a job description, then you have your homework for this week. Get that done, because I promise once they know what they're supposed to do, then you won't have to be checking in on them all the time. You you won't find out, oh, you did what? You blew something up this weekend? Why did you do that? Oh, because you thought that it was your job to mess with the sound system, and it's not. So now we have to pay for this fire hazard that has happened in our sanctuary. So uh, get get a job description, get that stuff, that leadership system in place. It will help everybody understand what they're supposed to be doing. All right. So we need a mission, vision, value system. We need a leadership system. And third, we need a communication system. Now, this is a big thing to me because it's a passion of mine. I love communications in the church and the way that it's going now. I think that no matter what size you are, to to ignore the fact that most people that you're going to connect with throughout the week are going to be connected with some through some sort of social media. It, it, you can't ignore that. 
You cannot simply say, we don't need to worry about Facebook. We don't need to worry about Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or any of those other things that are out there. I don't need to have a Pinterest. We don't even really need to worry about our website. It hasn't been updated since 95 anyway, so who cares? Obviously, no one cares. That's not good because the world we live in lives online during the week. They show up for Sunday morning and there's a lot of face-to-face and it's really great. During your week, you get your face-to-face. You call people in for meetings. Face-to-face is better. I will say that face-to-face is better. But why would you ignore this other thing that's really great? Communications is 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 a, a big ministry. It's really huge. It could be media and tech and video and graphics and slides and lighting and sound and music. And it could be a lot of that stuff. It can involve all kinds of things in the physical kind of the hardware side of communication. But then there's also the software side of brand management and inner office communications. Like how do you rent or reserve a room in the church? Is there a system? Is there a form that you fill out? Is there a person you have to clear it with? Or is there a calendar that your church operates on? What are all those software kind of systems? Who's managing your social media? Who's creating content for your social media? It's a huge thing. So if you think you can get all the communication stuff done with one person at 10 hours a week, and you've got more than a, you know, 100 people in your church, I'm sorry, you're a little crazy. That's a big task. And so we have to have a communication system in place. Now, one person can't do it, but I guarantee there's a lot of people in your church that can share that load. So whether you can pay people or not, which I think you should, if you can't pay people, there's a lot of volunteers. Maximize your impact with communications. There needs to be a point leader, though, and it needs to be a staff person. And I say that because the communications needs need to be represented in staff meetings because that's the fast moving part of staff. And if, if we're not bringing up issues with communications or, uh, someone's not able to take staff, uh, conversations and relate them to a communications person, if they can't be at the meetings, then your communications person is going to have their hands kind of tied. They're not going to be very good because they're just not going to know things that they need to know. So a staff person needs to be the point leader over your communications department. I vote for hiring someone to be the communications director, but a lot of times the youth pastor or the worship pastor or the executive pastor tend to be a good natural fit for that. Actually, a worship pastor is probably your most natural fit because they're dealing with the artistic stuff as well. But you've got to hire those. You've got to get people in there for, with, with the right skill sets for a lot of that stuff. It's a big thing. I would say break it down. Pick what you want to master first and start slow. But you've got to get the ball rolling on that. You need a point leader. And you need to define your vocabulary. Um, when you're talking about your church, I know that a lot of churches love acronyms because it rolls off the tongue and you feel really cool, but lost people, people who don't come to your church, people who are not from around here, they're out of towners or they're visiting. They don't know what the heck you're talking about. The PCBC or the DCB or the uh, MBC or whatever your church acronym is, it's just a bunch of letters. You got to define the vocabulary and say, as a staff, we're not going to say DBC anymore. We're going to say Dallas Bible Church. We're not going to say FBC anymore. We're going to say First Baptist Dallas or First Baptist uh, wherever you're, you're from. We're going to say the words in our church name. So that's a good start. Defining vocabulary. Even say, here's some words we're not going to use. We're not going to use words like um, community, you know, because sometimes people who don't go to church a lot don't really understand that. Whatever. And I'm just throwing ideas out. So Define some vocabulary for your church to use. Now, if you've got words that are like special in your mission, vision, values, use those. Talk, use those words when you talk. 
put them on the walls, make sure everybody can see them, but define this vocabulary. And I mean, if your children's ministry is called uh, crazy kids and it's all spelled with K's, then don't, don't call it something like kids ministry. When you talk about it, we're going off to kids ministry. Don't call it that. If it's called crazy kids, call it crazy kids. That's a stupid name. Please don't call it crazy kids, but you know what I'm saying? Anyway, You've got to define this vocabulary. You've got to be talking about the same things in the same way. That helps everybody else in the church adopt the vision together. And we start to speak the same way. Communications leaders do that. That's part of brand management. I know we don't like that word. We don't talk about brands in our church or marketing in our church. I think we need to get okay with that because that's kind of what we're doing. But we're doing it from a different point of view. It's not business. It's ministry. And we need to define these words. We also need to come up with a system that says what info goes where. I, I see this question all the time on some of the Facebook groups that I'm involved with that have to do with church communications. Communications leaders are always asking, how do I decide what announcements go where? Because everybody wants their announcement done on the stage. I'm actually releasing a resource on uh, this kind of thing called Upfront Soon. That uh, It's called Upfront, not Upfront Soon, but Upfront Soon I'll be releasing it, and it was it's going to give some pointers on, on some of that. But there's a lot of great books out there. I'll put a few of those in the notes that I can find that help you to understand what announcements need to go where and, and what are some guidelines. Like if it has to do with the whole church, then we're going to announce it from the front. We're not going to do more than three, and you're only going to take five minutes. And we're going to use stories instead of info, and we're going to point them to the website. I just gave you a gold mine there, so write all that down. That's good stuff, Okay. We're going to define what goes where, what info goes on the TVs out in the lobby that are a slide. What goes in the bulletin? Where does it go in the bulletin? I actually, at a church I just visited, I actually opened up a bulletin. And as I'm opening it up, there's like two other inserts, but it was like opening a bulletin. And then there's another bulletin. And then there's another bulletin inside it. And it was like this, one of those Russian eggs that just pops open and there's stuff inside. So I opened this thing up and the flow of it didn't make any sense. And I'm, a, and I'm like, I'm trying to look at this as a visitor and I don't know how to find it because uh, I can't tell you on the podcast, maybe I'll do a video or something, but I'm telling you the flow of that order of, there's no order of service in it, but all the info in it, tons of text, hardly any pictures, no breathing room for my eyes, meaning no white space anywhere in the whole thing. It was just full of text. And where everything was, was just so haphazard. So anyway, you got to think about that kind of stuff. As a person opens your bulletin, what do you want them to do? How do you want that experience to go? So thinking about what info goes where goes down into those details, because let me tell you, that's important. It's very little, it seems, but just because it's a small detail doesn't mean it's not important. It is important. And we know if the devil lives in the details, and that's where we fight him, okay? So if the devil's in the details, then let's go kick his butt there, and let's care about those details. So the other part of the communications uh, system that you need is you need to communicate how we communicate. You need to constantly educate some of your ministry leaders like elders, deacons, lay leaders. How are we going to define this system? Um, how are you going to reserve a room? How are you going to, what channels do you have to go through if you want to get a graphic made? Or if you want to do an event and you want to get it announced and you want it to be here, what are the questions that you have to ask? Is there a form you fill out? Is it online? Is it paper? Who do you turn it into? That kind of stuff you think because you know what it is that they know what it is and they just don't. You've got to find a way to communicate those systems pretty regularly with them. You can't just wait for them to try to do it wrong 
and then correct them along the way. That's very frustrating for them. They're going to go back and badmouth you to somebody, I promise, because you're a jerk. And really, you're just trying to tell them the system, and they just didn't know, and it's frustrating. So find ways to communicate those systems to your leaders. You don't have to communicate to the whole church, but find ways to communicate those systems to your lay leaders, maybe in a training session or maybe through email, maybe you do a little bit at a time, and maybe you have a, a closed Facebook group where you can all get together. I don't know. But find a way that you can communicate with those leaders. So you need a mission, vision, and value system, a leadership system, a communication system, and last, you need an assessment assimilation system. And many of us have a way to uh, take guest information and follow up with them. You might do visitations. You might have a, a ton of different ways that you do this. When I say assimilation system, I'm talking about an actual strategy of how you're going to get a person from off the street into your church and in deep involved ministry doing life together at your church. What does that look like? Uh, Joe Blow comes in off the street. He has brought his family and his kids, okay? And you need to know like who your people kind of look like and all that kind of stuff. It helps understand this. But when you're thinking about who's coming into your church, what's this funnel look like? The, is, it, is it the wide part of the funnel is the worship service? I would say it's not. I'd say it's the website. Your website is your new front door. And if you didn't know that, welcome to this century. The website is the first thing people are going to really find out about you. Because when they drive by or they hear about a church, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I go to that church. Really? You do? You should go with me. Sure, I'll go. Pulls out phone, looks up church. That's what they do right there on their phone. And so if your website, by the way, should be mobile friendly, if it's not, it's very frustrating and it looks outdated. And that's a first judgment they're going to have about you because that's the new front door. So the big funnel is the website, maybe social media. The next funnel is going to be your actual service. So they're coming into the service and I'd say it even starts in the parking lot. So as they come in, what is that experience like? And, and what is the one thing you're going to ask them to do while they're at the service? On the website, it should be, here's how to find us. And that should be front and center. Please come to our church. Here's the address. Here's a map. Here's some people you can look for when you come in. Make it super easy so that those that look at the church on the online, which they're going to do, as soon as they walk through the door, they feel like they already know something about this place. So they come in the first thing. So that's what you got them. The action item for the website is come to the church and maybe you want to do something else. I don't know, but that's what I would do. So you come into the church and then what's the next action item? You go to the service, but you want them to start in a Sunday school class or a ABF or Bible fellowship or whatever you call them, the, the early morning hour or however you do your small group time. So you're going to find a way to put some information in their hands, get some way to connect them to a small group. Maybe then after they get into a small group, the next step is to serve somewhere, finding your own ministry. And then the next step after serving could be reproduction. Who are you inviting? I'm bringing people into this church. Now I'm part of the mission, part of the vision, and I want others to know about it. So what is your system to kind of funnel them down to more specific ministry? That's the assimilation system I'm really talking about. And I would say put one action item at each touch point, each level that you define. It's like the touch point is our service. The thing we want them to do is fill in the blank. Join a small group. They joined a small group. That's the action. That's the, uh, the the next step down in the funnel. What's the next thing we want them to do? Get in relationship and then find a ministry together. You know, so whatever that looks like, write it down and let your staff know that's what you're doing. 
And then you start to put those things in place, communicate this stuff, but put it in place. How are we going to do this? And you can set up your systems and people in place. And here's what I want you to do. Greet them and bring them over to this desk. And when, Hey, person at the desk, when people are brought up to you, here's what I want you to do. There's just some training involved and it will take some time to get your people up to speed, but keep plugging away at it. And like I said, don't try to do all of this at once. It would be so overwhelming that you just quit if you failed, unless you have a team already in place that's just shooting off in their own directions and you just need to corral them. That you can do. But unless you've got a great system of volunteers already and you're just having to build this, pick one of them. I'd start with mission, vision, and values, and then I would go straight to communications. I would try to start defining that and getting that leadership because that's the in with leadership. And then you want that assimilation because chances are you probably have some sort of assimilation process already. It's just not very clear or very good if, if it's not working. So those are the four systems I think you need in any church size, regardless of how big you are or how small you are. You need some sort of system in all four of those areas, a mission, vision, and values decision matrix that you can make decisions with. What are we going to do? A leadership system that defines who's doing what and what are their strengths and how are they doing it? And you need a communication system. How are we going to go about talking about things? How are we going to go about leading people through things? What info goes where? And how are we going to communicate what's going on to our community, et cetera, et cetera. And then fourth, an assimilation system of how are we going to get people going deeper in ministry and deeper into discipleship to find out this incredible message about Jesus Christ that we know. Because, hey, we do the most important job on the planet. We do. We we tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We should try to do that the very best that we possibly can because it's the most important job on the planet. Regardless of what you make money at, regardless of how you go about doing that, that is the mission of the church. That is your mission. That is mine. And so I hope this is very helpful. You can put those into practice almost immediately and get started. That is the four systems I think every church should have. Now, if you think I'm missing one, go ahead and feel free to let me know in the, in the, in the comment section on the blog. Go and find me at sethmuse.com. Do me a favor, go, in, go into iTunes and rate this podcast. Uh, Give me, a, give me a rating whether you liked it, whether you didn't, and then leave me a review if you would. I'd love to hear from you, see what you got out of this podcast, how you like it. If you don't like it, what can I improve? I'd love to hear that. I love interacting with people. And then sign up for my email list. Um, subscribe on sethmuse.com and I will give you a free ebook. My free ebook is Do Not Go In There. Five things I wish someone had told me when I started the ministry. I bumped around and got a lot of scars and some stories to tell about it. And now I'm going to share that with you. Hopefully it'll help you to avoid running into the same problems that I did. And you can get ahead and get started on some things to some success that God really, I think, wants to have you have. So uh, have you have. That's an incredible sentence. And I'm going to end it on that. So thank you guys for listening. I'm out of here. See you next time. Later. Later.